Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. I think they should let them have a drink outside. I think it's been tough enough for people. I think they should still carry on the way they're going, you know, having, having your point to outside. Confusion over outdoor drinking rules as pubs and restaurants call for clarity. This is a tourist town. Like, if they can't sit down and relax, we're all wasting our time. The Justice Minister and Garda Commissioner say Garthi will use discretion. If we do need to make changes, we will do, because government will support the hospitality sector in providing outdoor dining. We'll be joined by the Restaurants Association and in studio by Josepha Madigan and Catherine Murphy. Later in the programme, amid new warnings about the spread of the Delta variant, what will our festival summer look like in these COVID times? Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. They promised us an outdoor summer and pubs and restaurants grasped the idea with gratitude. However, the issue of who can sit where and when is causing problems already in the hospitality sector, particularly in areas heavily dependent on tourism. In a moment, we'll be discussing the latest controversy around outdoor drinking. But first, our Southern correspondent Paul Byrne sent us this report from Killarney in the heart of the Kingdom of Kerry. To serve or not to serve alcohol has left publican Tony McSweeney scratching his head and asking what next for the bar trade. Well, our trade is last year, it was down about 90%, you know, and if more things come, where do we go, like, there's no, there's no future, like, there's no future, in t- this is a tourist town, like, if they can't sit down and relax, we're all wasting our time, you know. Uncertainty is not good for trade, says publican Siobhan Lenehan. Since we opened the other week, everything's been going really, really well. I, th- I can see no difference between serving alcohol or serving food with alcohol. I think if every premises can manage their area well, you know, there shouldn't be any, any problem, I don't think. When it comes to serving alcohol outdoors, legal experts say there are simply no grey areas. It may be illegal to consume alcohol in an area that's not licensed, but you could have an area outside a pub that may be licensed. So the issue is, what is the licensed area? Full stop. Consumers say Garthi should leave things stand as they are. I, I think it's fair enough. I think people should be allowed to dine out if they can't down, dine inside. And it's the government made that law. And if people want to dine out, I think let them dine out. Well, I personally would like to see it like the continent. You can have a meal outside and a glass of wine. I don't see any reason why you can't. No, I think they should let them have a drink outside. I think it's been tough enough for people. I think they should still carry on the way they're going, you know. Have your point to outside. I can't see anything. Why you shouldn't have it outside, like? 
Indoor dining is due to resume on July 5th, but whether or not a tipple or two will remain on the table is for now very much up in the air. Paul Byrne, Virgin Media News, Killarney, County Kerry. Well, this evening, the Garda Commissioner, Drew Harris, has issued an instruction for Garthi to use discretion over outdoor drinking, just as Minister Heather Humphreys earlier today also moved to clarify the confusion around all of this. Uh, there has been uh, an issue in one part of the country, uh, a local issue, and I would say to those people involved that they should sit down and try and find a local solution. I spoke with the Commissioner this morning and uh, he has uh, assured me that the Gardaí will apply discretion and he will be issuing a communique to his organisation today to confirm that. So uh, for the most people, can I just say, uh, they've had a really good weekend and I would like that to continue. Well, I'm joined now by Adrian Cummins of the Restaurants Association. Adrian, it's supposed to be all about the outdoor summer and uh, your members opened up and you're trying to do business and pub owners and uh, restaurant owners equally are, are, are trying to do business. And now we have this issue around licensing laws and where it leaves um, dining and particularly drinking on the street. What do you make of what's happened? Good evening, Claire. Well, what we have now is we have another impediment to the uh, reopening of uh, outdoor hospitality, outdoor dining uh, for our industry, an, an industry that is economically flattened since last March. We traded for 64 days since uh, March of last year. Uh, this is an, a total confusion, confusion with the guards. Their representatives this morning announced that they are confused, we're confused. The government now needs to step in and bring a, what we would call a statutory instrument uh, brought by the Minister for Health under the Public Health Act to override all these local bylaws that are in place that will prohibit on-street drinking. Uh, we have in a number of cases around and locations around the country where you have guards that are going to premises and they're saying that they are trading illegally by serving alcohol to their patrons and customers on street. We, we have invested 17 million euros by Falch Ireland through the local authorities for outdoor dining as part of the outdoor summer theme. We want to make sure that we work in collaboration with the Gardaí to make sure we do the right thing and we, we uphold the law. But there is mm. a loophole here that needs to be closed uh, and that we need to make sure that we're all trade evenly and this is the confusion has okay. taken away. And what are restaurant owners doing um, from your experience or what you're being told when they have been approached by Garthi in certain areas and told they can't, um, they can't give drinks outside? Well, the areas that are under question at the moment, it seems to be in the west in Galway, in certain parts of the east as well, uh, that I have reports over the last uh, 24 hours. Uh, so these businesses are trying to trade in a, in a, in a, in a um, viable manner and fashion. The guards will come to the premises and say that they're not trading legally. Uh, they cause deep distress to these business owners because they want to protect their license the license is very, very important for them to trade uh, throughout the, the summer ahead. Uh, and they don't want to Im have any, any uh, uh, okay. uh, issue when their license comes up for renewal in September. So the government now needs to step up to the plate now and make sure that they bring in the, what we would call the statutory instrument as soon as possible. 
OK, well, I'm joined now by Minister Josepha Madigan of Fine Gael and Catherine Murphy of the Social Democrats. I want to come to you, First Minister, on this. Um, we've heard there from the Restaurants Association um, representing many members right across the country and we've pub owners as well, and they're really worried and confused about all of this. What's going on? Yeah, I, I, I think that there has been... Um, a, a some sort of confusion arisen today around uh, licensing laws uh, versus bylaws uh, versus the COVID regulations. Um, and, and I think it's important to clarify that the bylaws, um, it, it, they're laws that the, the councils can make themselves uh, under Section 119 uh, of the Local Government Act. And what they do is they allow, and the majority of the bylaws that I looked at today around the country do in fact allow alcohol and, and consumption um, in outside a restaurant or a pub premises. Um, and in fact, I think but where the confusion perhaps arises is around uh, the discretionary element, which is implicit in the May. So, for example, it, what it says in the bylaw, um, in, in essence, is effectively that a Garda may take action. He doesn't, it's not shall take action. So, so I think it's this discretionary aspect, but I think the fact that there's a communique now going from the Garda Commissioner to the Garda Shikona, which Minister uh, Heather Humphreys outlined there succinctly, um, I think will establish that, um, that, that premise to the Garda Shikona so that common sense can apply in these yeah. instances because all the bylaws, even the bylaws in there Galway, are, are, actually there, allow there, there alcohol issue, consumption. There's the issue of bylaws, but there's also the issue around licensing laws. So in the original Garda statement said licensed premises can only sell alcohol as takeaway or be consumed on a premises and adding that a business's liquor licence determines what constitutes a yeah, premises. But I, I listened to Constance Cassidy, you know, who's an eminent senior counsel in this area earlier on, and she, she talked about the licensing laws. And in any liquor licensing law, it's implicit that it's inside and outside where Is you can it? serve alcohol. Yes, where you can serve but alcohol. Why have a so, different idea so around I, I, it then? The and why was it brought the confusion, up in Galway The confusion, I think, is the bylaws. And, you know, I'm not aware of the, of the you know, absolute detail in terms of Galway. But what I can say, and this may be a concern for Gardaí, is where, for example, even though there are designated seating areas, perhaps immediately outside the vicinity of a licensed premises, whether it's a restaurant or pub, and I believe most of the inquiries were to pubs rather than restaurants, and um, perhaps it's in the wider area in terms of antisocial behaviour that there may be an issue. And the Gardaí, I think, have discretion in these instances, as they do, I have to say, Claire, in many other aspects okay. of the law. For example, a Gardaí uses his discretion in terms of speeding, um, whether to issue a fixed notice, um, you know, and he can use discretionary and discretion. Dis so discretion, discretion is widely, it's widely... It's the word of the day, isn't it's it really? It's widely uh, used I, I, uh, in yes. law for And I want to bring Murphy in here because it is what Heather Humphrey said and then Commissioner Drew Harris said, yes, look, our, our Garthi must... Um, he will issue the order around discretion being used. Uh, do you think that's fair on Garthi on the beat? I don't... I don't entirely think it is, and I don't think it's exclusively to do with the bylaws. I think it it, it is the floor space of the, uh, the, 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 you know, the restaurant will be licensed on based on on the actual floor space, mm. um, and I think if there's any ambiguity, what needs to happen is that there is that ambiguity is taken away, um, by you know, a piece of a very quick piece of amending legislation, whether it's a statutory instrument or whether it's a, a you know a, a small piece of amending legislation, I, that would that would cover the entire country. And like I I imagine like the, like the the outdoor dining um, is really a lifeline and. 
really it's about keeping people safe yeah. in terms of yeah. ventilation. Done, the, the, yeah, but, but, this idea that, look, we can amend the but, law but, but, here but, and the issue of discretion, like it's all very well for this week or this weekend mm. to talk about discretion and... It's about common see, sense. See, really. see what's happening. Yeah. But, but bigger picture, if we're looking at all this investment being made into outdoor dining and drinking, even when indoor opens mm. up, the outdoor drinking is going to be a feature of yeah. the summer, isn't well, it? Well, look, obviously that's something the government has to consider. I know Minister Humphreys has said she's spoken to the Attorney General. She will look and see okay. if there is further legislation needed. But can I just say, I think that discretion is important and I don't think that any restaurant who is behaving well in terms, you know, and, and, and their can and their just, patrons, I just yeah. finished this, um, you know, and the pubs, I don't think they have anything to fear. Um, but I think the Guard has to have that discretion as they do in many okay. other areas of the law. Yeah, and but, I think okay. the majority of them, and we're very supportive of the restaurants because they've like, suffered an awful lot and pubs over the last 15 I, I want to bring in uh, Pat Leahy, former Assistant Commissioner and uh, Security Consultant. You've been listening to this um, conversation here tonight and just generally speaking, the, the words around the day, the use of discretion, um, what, what members of the Gardaí are expected to do now when they come across street drinking and certain instances that they, they may be concerned about. What, what do you make about this idea of discretion being used? Well, the concept of discretion is probably uh, one of the most contentious issues in policing for the last number of decades. And the guards, like everybody else, have found that uh, their discretion in applying the law has been squeezed for some time now. And the oversight that has been brought in, I suppose, to, to as the check for or the balance for this uh, is relentless in as much as if something goes wrong, the guards are the individual guard will be uh, put under the microscope to see what happened here. And they've been over the jumps on this now many times at this stage, and they're very slow to take on discretion uh, unless it's absolutely necessary. Now, having said that, I don't think the guards are going to interfere with the situation as it stands now. I think they were brave and right to raise it and say, listen, guys, we might have a problem here. We need to address it. But I do think that the guards will continue in the short to medium term until this is rectified appropriately. And I think the right place for it is with the Attorney General. But I think the guards are just, uh, they're being mature about this and they're saying, look, guys, uh, discretion isn't what it used to be. And we know that uh, we're going to be held to account for anything that goes wrong here. So they're, what they're suggesting is, look, you take it on, have a look at it, fix it. And I think in the meantime, as the Commissioner has said, uh, they will exercise their discretion around this. But discretion is a very dangerous place for uh, police generally, and the guards have experienced this, so they're very slow to take it on. So you'd say this is a short, a very short-term solution, Pat Leahy, and not something that can be sustained throughout the summer? Well, I think the sooner it can be fixed, the better, because uh, if, it's, if it's not addressed, uh, I suppose, sufficiently quickly, the guards will know this is not being addressed. They've raised it now. It's a national debate at the moment or a national discourse. And I think that will give the guards some cover because nobody can say afterwards, well, you weren't told we raised this issue. We used our discretion and on occasions it went wrong and now guards are, are uh, I suppose, finding themselves under pressure. And I think that's what's driving this really, okay. that there is a law there when there's um, a local authority after implementing a particular law and the guards saying, look, we can't breach you, we can't ignore it. Uh, what do you want us to do here? but don't leave us out here on our own. Okay. In very practical terms, um, Josefa Madigan, isn't it true that there's been so much messaging around spending time outdoors and if you are going to socialise, do it outdoors. And now that the pubs and the restaurants have 
been opened, they have been resourced to open outdoors and to operate outdoors, that all of this should have been sorted out well before now. No, I, I, don't, I don't agree with that because it, it, this, to me this is about a reasonable test, you know, so inherent in the word discretion is whether something is reasonable or not and guards generally every day work so hard and they have from the very beginning of the pandemic, you know, testing us what is reasonable behaviour and what is not reasonable behaviour. and all have been tested or have had to be tested on this before. Unfortunately, all of the bylaws use that word may or shall take action. And that's, as I said earlier, that you can use it for a child who's, or an adult who's cycling on a footpath that they use their discretion whether or not to, to prosecute that, that child I or not. I just wonder you know, if, and, and, if and, there's and, a government plan in place. It's not just the odd bar doing it or it's not just... Uh, as many bars have been encouraged to do this, to promote outdoor drinking. Yeah, and that's what and we want. And yet there's a ban. There's a ban generally. No, but there's no, there's no ban. I mean, that, that, again, that, that's not correct. But there is correct. if you move slightly from the pavement no, there's no out ban. onto the street. No, there's no ban. There's no ban within no the licensing ban. law. There's no ban on alcohol alcohol being consumed on a licensed premises once they have a license and uh, which is in within all the bylaws so that I looked at today so the only the only issues is that if there's any action that needs to be taken the guard may okay. or shall take Catherine, action and that's I, the difficulty. I, that is not my reading of the situation my reading of the situation is that the premises is licensed it's determined by the floor space what is licensed um in some, lo in some parts of the country, there is an additional layer. So there's a licensing licensing law piece and then there's a bylaw piece. Now if you were to change bylaws for example you have to go out to public consultation I've, I've been a member of a local authority for many years and it does take bylaws, some considerable yeah. time so it's not a quick fix um, the the issue then is to extend the licensing law even on a temporary basis to the out, outdoor spaces. You, what you don't want also is to uh, obliterate uh, the bylaws for example in parts of the country where they're required for example in a public park or in public spaces other than places that are you know okay. uh, that are you know associated with the hospitality sector. I just want to bring Adrian Cummins back in here um, the idea around discretion on the Gardaí now can just essentially decide themselves if there's a problem they can have, have a quiet word with, with the restaurant owner with the bar owner and try to, to move people on um, and other than that they, they can they can move on themselves what do you think about that as a solution for the short term at least before maybe some laws can 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 come in on this some amendments can can be reached well Claire, we believe that the minister has the power to create a statutory instrument that could sort this issue out tomorrow it could be done by tomorrow evening if there is a will to get it done what we don't want is any gray area any discretion it has to be black or white uh, when we're dealing with the public when we're dealing with alcohol we need to make sure that we're doing this right and that when we uh, develop an, a summer of outdoors we have it done properly mm. and, and practically for the people of Ireland and for the business owners that want to get on with reopening their businesses proper, uh, properly and viably. Uh, so we want to get a swift solution to this. If we were consulted in advance, which we weren't, uh, we would have pointed out this well in advance to the government. And it's like all the guidelines that have been uh, uh, given to us over the last number of, of months, there has been no consultation with the hospitality sector. And we're two weeks away now from a reopening of indoor hospitality and still no consultation around guidelines and how we're going to operate our businesses in two weeks time. 
Okay, I want to bring the minister in on that. Like that's something that the Restaurants Association have been saying for a while. This lack of consultation, that they're hearing about things a week before they're due to open. There isn't enough time. For example, when we have indoor dining opening, the, the issue of ventilation, how long people can stay in a restaurant for, all of that all needs to be ironed out. It has implications for business and how they run their evening and their day. And it's very late in the day when, when, you're, when you're talking to businesses about it. But obviously, there are operational issues that all of the restaurants have to look at when they're opening. And, you know, and we want to support them. And as you, as you said yourself, we want an outdoor summer primarily. Um, but we hope that they'll all be back uh, opened indoors soon as well. Uh, and I know that the department responsible will be engaging and has been engaging with all stakeholders continuously since the beginning of this pandemic. Um, we want people to, to spend in Ireland as well. We want people to dine locally. Um, um, and we want to get the pubs back open as well, you know, as much as we can, but in a safe way. And I think that's really important that we do that. And, you know, I have to say as well, the Tornish last year, I remember the very beginning of this pandemic, back in March 2020, said that, you know, he wants the police to rule in this country, if you like, by consent and not by coercion. Uh, and that, that is the reality with this as well. It's always about, even with antisocial behaviour, it's about warnings and, and a civil did, process we did have those rather problems than prosecutions. In Dublin city centre and elsewhere, when we had and gangs of youths on the street and we had trouble breaking out and then there were issues around how we deal with that when yeah. the policing by consent, there was such a big push mm. on that, how we should respond mm. in these instances. Yeah, and, and we, ha we have the youth strategy for that. But, you know, one of the things in, under the Criminal Justice Act, the 2006 one, um, is again about the civil process and issuing warnings, particularly to children, you know, and trying to okay. get them to, to, to move along issuing rather warnings, than, rather than going straight into court. by consent. Are these all things that you'd agree with? Of course, we want, of course we want policing by consent. Um, and you, you, want to, you, you want to see a, a good summer for a sector that has really been under the cosh. They wouldn't be looking for consultation or dialogue if they didn't feel they needed it. And I think that there sh that should be taken up and taken up immediately. Mm. So is that, so is that if, there's, if there's any ambiguity about a safe opening, that can be resolved. Okay. Um, but like, I think at the end of the day, the discretion will only take you so far. There has to be some you know, there has to be some certainty that when somebody opens that they're not going to feel that the guards can walk in. Even if they don't do that, there has to be some degree of certainty. And I think that can be, I think that can be something that is remedied. And I think it's well within the ability of all parties in the, in the, the doll to do that okay. and do that very uh, quickly. Hasidhi, I just want to bring you in on this. Um, the idea of just amending the law and bringing in that certainty. Do you think that would resolve the issue and that we can push ahead with our summer, Gardaí will be happier in doing their jobs and, and restaurants and pubs will get that certainty that they require. Well, I absolutely believe that we're going to push on with our uh, summer outdoors and I think it's only right and proper that we would. I don't think that we can lose sight of the fact that there's a unique situation that uh, is in front of us. Uh, we're coming out of a global pandemic, so everything is new. Uh, we're trying to fit you know, pieces together that didn't naturally fit before now. We're drinking in the street was was a no-no for everybody. We were trying to cut down on it as much as we could. So there's big changes taking place here. There's always going to be a few bumps in the road. I think we'll get over the bumps. But I do think that all stakeholders concerned are looking for a little bit of clarity around this. And I think it can be delivered. I don't think it can be delivered today or tomorrow. And I do think that the AG's advice would be really, really important. But I do think it can be uh, overcome in the short term. And I expect that the guards will use their discretion. And I don't think that it's going to interfere with the outdoor summer.
But uh, I do think clarity will have to arrive okay. at some stage okay. in the short to medium okay. term. I, I, I think that clarity, the fact that the, you know, the Garda Commission has given that communicate to its members, will offer clarity around uh, using their discretion. Okay. Uh, Adrian Cummins, I just want to bring you in for just a last word on this. And just, just a, as, a, as an aside, you were back in court today regarding the indoor dining and the action that you're taking. Um, you're, you're looking for indoor dining to have started when hotel dining did. Now that decision on that or the case has been put back until next month, at that point, everything will be open. Well, we had a good day in court today. Uh, the judge uh, affirmed that the government must lay before the court through an affidavit uh, the exact rationale why they uh, reopened hotels ahead of restaurants. We've never seen this in a written format, so now we will see it in court and that's what we want to see. And then we will push forward with our judicial review after that. Obviously, the, 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 we will, and we hope, the government will make the announcement that we will open on the 5th of July, and we're back in court again on the 8th after, uh, after that as well. So there's a long road to go on this, uh, but we want to make, get uh, some sort of justice for those businesses that has been, in our opinion, been discriminated against. Okay, Adrian Cummins, thank you for that. And Pat Leahy, thank you tonight. Now, come fly with me to go abroad this summer or not. We'll discuss this next. Stay with us. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Let's focus on international travel now and with just a month to the planned resumption of non-essential trips abroad, I'm joined by Assistant Professor of Virology at UCD, Gerald Barry. And for us tonight, there's renewed concerns about the spread of the Delta variant here with the Chief Medical Officer saying it now accounts for 20% of cases. Would you be worried about that? Um, yeah, we have to be worried about the Delta variant. Um, I suppose like all variants, um, it, it, the potential for it to cause problems is great, but this Delta variant is particularly concerning. Um, it has increased transmissibility compared to anything we've dealt with before. So if it becomes dominant, which to be honest, it probably will within the country, it just makes the challenge of controlling uh, cases much, much greater. What potential problems could we see then if we see this 20% figure jump to 40%, jump higher and jump to become the dominant variant, the variant that if anyone catches COVID, they get the Delta variant? I think there are three key things about the Delta variant that make it different from 
the alpha variant that we currently have in the country. Uh, the first thing is its transmissibility. So it spreads between people much more effectively uh, than the current variant. So the likelihood of somebody picking up the infection from somebody else is increased. Um, there's also a higher likelihood if you get the disease and you're not, or sorry, if you get the Delta variant and you're not vaccinated, there's a, a doubling of likelihood that you're going to end up in hospital. Um, and also as well, there's a concern around the effectiveness of vaccines against it. So we know from Public Health England that if you have just one shot of the AstraZeneca or the Pfizer vaccine, that there's limited protection, about 33% efficacy against uh, the Delta variant compared to 70% plus uh, with the Alpha variant. Now, it should be stressed that if you have two shots of either Pfizer or AstraZeneca, then the protection is really excellent, above 90% uh, against hospitalization, uh, even with the Delta variant. But the concern really is if you're not vaccinated or if you only have one shot at the vaccine, then it really becomes challenging with the Delta variant because the effectiveness of these vaccines is quite limited when you only have one shot. So if the Delta variant becomes dominant and all the cases become Delta cases, then it's likely that we'll see a sharper rise of cases and potentially that will follow through into an increase in hospitalization um, okay. and, and potentially death as well. Okay well look with that in mind how safe do you think summer travel is um, in your opinion? We heard the chief medical officer say if you're not vaccinated you shouldn't be traveling abroad. Uh, would you uh, agree with that or the government has a more open stance of falling in line with the EU travel search that if you have a negative PCR test or a negative, depending on what country you're in, um, or you've had COVID already, um, or you're vaccinated, that you're safe to travel? It, it, it's really a balance of risk. If you're double vaccinated, uh, you have the greatest protection against any variant that you might encounter that we currently know of, um, which means that if you're double vaccinated, that's the safest position you can put yourself in. And it gives you much more freedom to live a, a, a life of relatively low risk against COVID. Uh, any other situation, whether you have one shot of vaccine or you have no vaccine at all, increases the risk against COVID. And really then that comes down to personal choice, I suppose, as to how much risk you're willing to take. And Neffet and, and Dr. Holland, I think, have tended to always err on the side of caution which is arguably the right thing to do when we're dealing with a, a virus that can infect and kill people. Mm -hmm. And so I can understand why they're stressing the idea that unless you're fully vaccinated, you really should live a relatively cautious life still um, okay. against all these types of areas. Now, what we're hearing is that people in their 20s and, and, and older will all be vaccinated come September. With that in mind and the vaccination schedule running as it is, do you have concerns for the winter then with this variant or do you think in line and in tracking the, the, the vaccination uh, progress that we should be able to stave off any threat of, of variants such as Delta? Yeah, I think that really depends on how many people get vaccinated, to be honest. Uh, like we need to be hitting kind of 70 to 80 percent of our adult population fully vaccinated at least to give us a chance of protecting ourselves against another surge. We know that as we move into the winter, it's very likely that, that those conditions will help the spread of the virus. And so if we don't have a high level of vaccination in the country, we're opening ourselves up to an, another surge, unfortunately. Now, it should be said that the vast majority of, I suppose, vulnerable people and older people 
look like they're getting vaccinated. So if we did see a surge, it's likely to happen in younger people. And that may not necessarily translate into really high levels of hospitalization and death, which is obviously a fantastic thing. But even high levels of cases in younger people will inevitably cause hospitalizations and deaths in some people. And so in order to avoid that as much as possible, we have to stress the idea of as many people getting vaccinated okay. as possible. And that includes pushing down potentially into younger kids, teenagers, and okay. potentially below as well. Okay, Gerald Barry, thank you for joining us on The Tonight Show tonight. Well, Minister of State Josepha Madigan and Social Democrats TD Catherine Murphy are still here with me. And uh, we've heard that warning we got from the Chief Medical Officer tonight in a tweet saying it is concerning now that one in five cases are down to the Delta variant of COVID. Uh, what, what do you make of it? What did you think when, when, you, when you saw that, that message from Dr. Tony Houlihan this evening? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's a sobering message. Uh, and even listening to Professor Barry there, um, what I was struck by everything that he said, really, it, it's about the fact that if you're double vaccinated, you have a 90%, you know, immunity to the, the whatever variant is coming along and there probably will be other variants down the line and um, so really what we have to concentrate on in government is to make sure that we get every age group vaccinated as soon as possible we have 61 percent who've had a first dose about 31 percent have a double dose and um, i think the 30 to 34 age group have just been asked to register so we've got to ramp that up we've got to make sure we get everybody vaccinated as soon as possible okay. i also heard professor kingston mills uh, earlier on talking about you know trying to protect against imported cases coming in, for example, but that won't perhaps help in terms of community transmission. Okay. So sometimes we forget, I think, that we're still in the middle of a pandemic yeah. because it's the summer and everybody's talking about, you know, we were I talking know, about outdoor we dining, etc. we talking about the um, EU travel cert that's coming in on July yes. 19th. And we know that Dr. Tony Houlihan has said, if you're not vaccinated, don't travel abroad. Mm. That's different to the advice being issued by the government in this well, the matter. So there's mixed messages well, no, there, there again, isn't, isn't there? there isn't, actually. The, the government's advice has never changed. The government's advice at present is still don't travel. Oh, I know, but unless, from July 19th. Unless it's essential. So from well, what we're saying is that at the moment, the, sh the schedule is that the digital EU search will come out on the 19th of yeah. July in Ireland. But that, of course, depends on you know, the, the, the epidemiological situation. So, you know, at present, that is what the plan is. Uh, and then people will be able to get the EU digital cert, as you mentioned earlier, if you have your vaccination, uh, if you have a COVID test, or if, or you're, if not, you're six or if months you're not having had COVID. But Dr. Tony Hulan is saying, if you're not vaccinated, don't go. Well, you know, at the end of the day, Enfit and uh, Dr. Tony Holan, uh, who, who I respect uh, an awful lot, give their advice to government. But Cabinet makes the decision themselves uh, and it'll be up to okay, Cabinet so to decide. so there is a different message because I think but, that's but what present, the Polish clarified but, at the weekend, but, but, but in I, fairness. I, I, I think, you know, we are on track at the moment for the 19th of July and all expectations lead that that will be the case even though we have 20% here uh, with the Delta variant. Uh, we have put in many strict measures in terms of the UK, for example, coming over here. They have to quarantine home quarantine for 14 days. They have to get a PCR test within 72 hours before coming over and then five days and 10 days. So there are there is quite a strict regime around that. Yeah, um, you know, we had the Irish Travel Agents Association coming out saying um, there's a lot of confusion around this and it's really not helpful for people. If they're trying to plan a holiday now, Catherine Murphy, and they're looking to July 19th, we know that they're issuing these COVID certs in other countries now so that people are ready to go as soon as they can, like from July 1st. We're not introducing this until the 19th of July. Um, what should people do? Is the message quite confused now? Yeah, I think it is confused. And um, 
I mean, first of all, there is that difference of advice um, from the government and from uh, from the chief medical officer, and and you know that that is a fact. The 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 other thing is that you know you're looking at younger people who are enthusiastic to go on holidays, feel less of a risk, and feel a PCR test uh, on when they come back in will allow them to travel. And I mean that is a balance of risk, and it's a risk that people uh, will decide or to and or not to take. What do you think of that idea well, with the the Delta variant now at twenty percent in this country? It, it, it depends very much what part of the world you're talking about. If you're talking about travelling to an area where where the uh, the incidence of the uh, Delta variant is low, that's a very different proposition to travelling to somewhere where it's, where, where there's a very serious problem, like in the UK, for example. But I guess in these countries, you're looking at Spain, Portugal, if you have holidaymakers from all over the world, from all different countries coming to... The busy resorts. Yeah, well, you can see, for example, you're going Italy, to have that. You're going it, to have that mixing, aren't you? Yeah. Well, you, if you look at Italy and Belgium, for example, how they have taken a extra precautions against the UK because of the instance of the Delta variant in the UK. So we're not the only ones that are taking uh, to take an appropriate action where okay, they, where they, where they, where the there's a variant that is very dominant, and and it's very high risk. But I mean, there's a substantial number of of people, for example in the, uh, you know, in the 60s age range that still are single vaccinated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's a, there, we are in a, a race against time. Yeah. What we can't do is what we did last year and that is let our guard down in relation to test and trace and isolate and just keep uh, keep control of this virus yeah. because it, it, there is a race against time. I want to bring uh, Josepha Madigan in on this and, and we, we, we know that Uh, If you are double vaccinated, that's key. There are still people aged between 60 and 70 who are waiting for their second AstraZeneca dose. They're vulnerable right now. And there's people who are in the already vulnerable cohort who received the AstraZeneca vaccine who are still waiting on a second dose. Doesn't this need to be a matter of priority? And shouldn't we look now at mixing the vaccines in this instance to get those people vaccinated as soon as possible? Yeah, and, and I'm sure that's under consideration in the Department but of Health. And, and, and made on it but, now. And when we're hearing but, about the Delta but, variant, you know, it, it's it, being first of all, it's, it's a matter for, for Minister Donnelly uh, and indeed the Department of Health. And you know, well, just to go to what Catherine said earlier about you know the, the different advices. You know, Enfit does advise, um, but government decides at the end of the day. Um, you know, and you know. Obviously, we want to get as many people vaccinated. I said that earlier on, as soon as possible, all age groups. And if if we, there is a possibility of mixing different vaccinations, then why wouldn't we do that? Um, and I'm, I'm sure... Although it's th- not th- happening the government, now because but, Nyack hasn't but, made but, the decision but, on but that. If Nyack hasn't made that decision, um, it, it can't advise until it has made that decision. But, you know, we're in a rapidly evolving situation all of the time. Um, and, you know, Catherine did concede that appropriate action was taken by Ireland in terms of okay. the UK, for example, and uh, incoming... Uh, passengers from there. Um, so we you know we take everything into consideration, but we just want to okay. get the programme rolled out as soon I, as possible. I just want to move on to a different matter now, and this is around the new maternity hospital and the, the controversy and the ongoing row about the site on which uh, the hospital is being built. Now, the Thornish has said the state attempted to purchase the land, yet the religious order of the Sisters of Charity said no meaningful approach was made or considered. So what is the situation as far as you're aware, Minister? But if the Tornish has said that an approach was made to buy the land, then I, I would accept what he has said and in relation. What he was said in relation to that, um, you know, my my only issue around um, the maternity hospital, or indeed any hospital in Ireland, particularly a hospital providing reproductive 
um, services to women uh, in whatever form that is, uh, that it should be in a secular fashion, uh, that it shouldn't be under influence uh, from from state or, or from religion or from any aspect like that. Um, so that's the only issue that I would so have around that. Ha- like that's an issue, but it's a huge issue, isn't it? And there's a hundred year um, lease. I mean, the, the arrangement as it is, is that the Sisters of Charity um, have given this land to a holding group still attached to the charity. It's a charity. Yeah, so I, I think that... So really, it's problematic, is it? Yeah, I think Well, I think that needs to be interrogated further. Uh, I think we need to make sure that there's absolutely clear lines uh, between the, the new maternity hospital uh, uh, separated from any religious uh, influence whatsoever. Look, we're spending, Separated from we're, any we're, religious we're, influence, we're, Catherine. We're, we're going to spend 800 million and it's scaled up from the original estimate. We're going to spend 800 million on a first-class new National Maternity Hospital. It needs to be publicly owned. It needs to be governed, um, you know, independently. It needs to be secular. um, And you need to have people on the governing board that are experts in obstetrics, uh, you know, staff, patient uh, interest. That, that's the kind of hospital that we require. Now, there, there is a serious issue here um, in relation to, um, and I think we absolutely, first of all, have to go and make that approach. If, if they said that they weren't approached, approach them. Are they amenable to that approach now? Both the nuns and the St. Vincent's group require to be be, um, uh, approached. And uh, under no circumstances can this be anything other than than publicly owned on public land. There will have to leave it. My thanks to Josepha Madigan and Catherine Murphy. Now, coming up next, as summer truly begins, what will festival season look like? And the Love Island 2021 contestants, we reveal all. Stay with us. Back now, it's Midsummer's Night and a summer festival season like no other is underway. Well, I'm joined by entertainment journalist and podcaster Orla Condon. It's really very different this year, isn't it? Not it the festival season is. anyone imagined. No, you're not rushing to the supermarket to grab tents and camping chairs and all that kind of malarkey. You know, it's very different. Um, but it's still nice to see things happening and hear discussion of, of festivals coming back. Um, and it all kind of kicked off a couple of weeks ago with that James Vincent McMorrow gig, which was one of the pilot events that the government ran to test safety measures around those kind of events and definitely the excitement around that event and seeing people there was a select I think it was 500 people in attendance on the night and just everyone felt the buzz even if you weren't there it was something exciting yeah, on Twitter and say, 500 people could go but many more maybe sort of watched on or, or oh followed, furiously followed, jealous yeah followed <laughs> on via Twitter or other social media sites um, but uh, just just back to events that are taking place um regardless of, 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 of what's happening, because we've Pride Month this month, and at the end of the week, we were due to have the big Pride Parade. So what's happening in its place and what sort of events are taking place to mark this month and this week in particular? Yeah, so June is Pride Month in Ireland, so normally you would see a lot more activity in the streets to do with that, especially at the parade, which is kind of the culmination of, of Pride Month and a gorgeous time to be in Dublin or any city where the Pride Parade is happening. Not so much this year, it's not going to be a, a in-person physical parade. There will be a virtual parade, which will be different and for some it mightn't uh, have the same kind of punch that the, the real life thing 
thing does. But that's happening on Saturday the 26th at the end of the month. Um, and that they've been gathering videos from members of the LGBTQ plus community uh, to take part in that. And there's a lot of details yet to come. They're telling us to keep an eye on the website, but it's all going to be streamed across the website. It'll be free to attend. Um, and there'll be lots going on throughout the day. Um, and that comes after weeks of them holding virtual tours of galleries and museums and different events to try and make this Pride Month mm. as special as they can, especially after the year that we've had, that COVID has had such a disproportionate effect on the LGBTQ plus community who already mightn't have many of them family supports around them. So that feeling of isolation mm. and loneliness. And that's the message that the Pride, uh, Dublin Pride are trying to push this year is community and togetherness. And it is so incredibly important, but there are some live trial events planned for this summer, aren't aren't there? There are some things in place that they're polishing them. They're saying, can we get crowds to venues and do it safely? Yeah. So I, there was, it kind of started about a month ago. There was word of this festival happening in Phoenix Park and what's happening and can we all go? What's the story? Uh, but yeah, the government have lined out a number of events, both sporting and musical events over kind of a space of about six weeks to just test the measures, see how they're working. Uh, are all the safety measures they have in place sufficient? Is there going to be overcrowding? Are we able to get people in and out of these events? James Vincent McMorrow was, was one of those. You saw the pods of people out on the lawn watching the event yeah. they were all socially distanced uh, so there's going to be events across the country uh, there's one this week in the concert hall in the University of Limerick we've got one in the INEC in Killarney as well this week and the Phoenix Park Festival okay. so they're testing all these measures to make sure that they can expand those crowds and just tonight we had an audience a real audience in the Abbey Theatre I know real people in a theatre must <laughs> be so lovely for them yeah the Abbey Theatre welcome back an audience for the first time since March last year so I'm sure they were delighted to open their doors today. 50 people only, which is roughly 10% of capacity, um, but they're back in there. And, th and that smaller capacity also allows them to live stream the event, which is great for, for the theatre. Okay. Um, look, we have to get onto the subject that people won't be going out to this, but they may be sitting at home and watching it. Yes. And that's the much anticipated <laughs> Love Island. The contestants were revealed. Yes. Um, anything different in the lineup this year that we're seeing? Um, not really. And that, that's been a bit of a discussion point today about there was a lot of talk about diversity in the casting and would they include, you know, all shapes and sizes and LGBTQ plus people in the in the cast this year. It doesn't appear to be that way with the first 11 and there's been a bit of talk about it online, a bit of disappointment. But I would say that over the course of eight weeks, we're going to be introduced to roughly 40 singletons coming in and out of this villa. There's a long eight weeks in it. We could get some really interesting characters coming in with really interesting stories. And whether you love it or hate it, it's hard to look away once you get sucked in. Of course, Maura Higgins was the standout star of the last Love Island, um, our own Irish contestant, I and mean, we Greg O'Shea as well. Um, any sign this year of an Irish contestant to... to no one yet, no one yet. But like I said, we've got we've got 30-ish people coming down the line. So you'd be hopeful that someone would come. There's a lot of people rumoured, but you kind of, with these things, you got to just wait and see when those doors Do open. we know how COVID and restrictions are playing into any of this for the contestants? Like, we know ourselves that we're not supposed to be doing so much social mixing at the moment. Yeah. Are they all vaccinated? Are they all in their bubbles? Or how is it working this year, do you know? The show kind of lends itself actually to those restrictions in a way, like all the cast members will go and be kind of quarantined before anyway. So all the cast members that we just met today in, in the launch would have been probably already in lockdown for the last week. Their phone's gone, all that kind of thing. So I would imagine it's a very similar setup, just kind of intensified a little bit more, tightened on everything. But generally they kind of had those measures in place for secrecy reasons. So it's kind of easy to adapt it, I guess. Um, but it'll be interesting to see how much attention they give COVID in the season? Will it be kind of a character that's ever present or will we kind of get over that in the first few nights? And you've got a podcast beginning on this uh, to coincide with the... Yes. 
first night next Yes, week. my pot on paper, goodbye friends and family, eight weeks diving in. Um, yeah, just digesting the show. You're in there for the long haul, aren't you? I really am. Yeah, after a year of quarantine, I'm just signing up for another <laughs> eight weeks of being stuck at home watching telly, but I'm, I'm happy to do it. Okay, that's great. Listen, Orla Condon, thank you so much for coming in and, and filling us in on summer action. And just a reminder that Love Island starts, as I said, on this channel next Monday at nine. That's it from us. Our programme is available as a podcast from all the late team here. Good night and take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 